Amen. Hey, you may be seated. Our team is going to continue in some wonderful worship in just uh, a moment. Now, we know there's a lot of great Christmas music during this time of year. Some of us have been listening to it, it seems like, even before Halloween, right? As Liam said, this song we just sang is newer. Uh, it was written just a couple of years ago, so maybe some of you are hearing this for the really the first time even today. But we, we chose this song for this service because we really believe that it captures the spirit of what this season is all about. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the Apostle Paul writes what really could be described as the, the whole arc of Scripture, the whole story of it in just one verse. He says this, God has proven his love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. He did this for us, for all the unfaithful, weak and unstable. He died for those who are bitter and broken with fears unspoken. He died for all the guilty and hiding ones. He died for you who have nothing. See, friends, if you have ever struggled with the thought, maybe even the guilt of what God might think of you, just look to Jesus. You see, this Christmas Eve, we are reminded that even in the midst of our weariness, and in some ways it may be all the ways that sin has affected us, the way it even confronts us, we still have a reason to rejoice. It's because Christ died for us. You know, as I continue to get older, there is something I have learned over my 42 Christmases. This will now be 43 that I've enjoyed. And one of the things I I've continued to uh, realize is that I never get tired of presents. Huh? Anyone else with me on that? Now, look, I'll be honest. My enthusiasm and sense of expectation has subdued just a little bit. Um, I'm actually wearing one of my presents right now. I'm able to sleep through Christmas Eve where I wasn't when I was a little kid. But I'm also not going to stand up here and tell you that I don't still enjoy opening up a wrapped present. Right? I mean, gifts are synonymous with Christmas. Would you agree? I would argue even more so than things like lights and cookies and trees. And this makes sense. It makes sense because the whole story of Christmas is really wrapped around the gift of Jesus. That, that God wrapped himself in human flesh and became like one of us so we could know and, and more importantly, receive this love. Now, I want to really encourage us on this Christmas Eve just to spend a, a few minutes to really think about why the birth of Christ, the Messiah, the very Son of God, why this matters so much to you and to me. Why did the second person of the Trinity, whom we call God the Son, why did he assume this lowly posture of a servant and become like one of us? The Apostle Paul, in another letter in the New Testament called Philippians, writes this in chapter 2, verse 6, that although he, Jesus, existed in the form of God, the Gospel of John says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Colossians 1.15 tells us that he, Jesus, is the physical image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1, verse 3, tells us that Jesus is the full radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. So he existed in the form of God, but he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. And he took on the form of a bondservant and was made in the likeness of men. 
And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In other words, Jesus became like one of us in order to die as one of us. Why? Now, to maybe answer that question, let me just share something fun with you I learned. This past week, uh, in December of 1903, so we're talking 120 years ago now, almost to the week, to the, to the day, this was a week ago, after many attempts, the Wright brothers were successful in getting their flying machine off of the ground. December 17th, 1903. Can you imagine that? How much the world has changed in just 120 years. And so the Bright brothers, in their enthusiasm, go and they send a telegraph to their sister named Catherine. Now, Catherine was a huge supporter of their efforts. She left her job to support what they were doing. She was basically like their manager or their PR person. And at this time, December 17th, she's back home in Dayton, Ohio. The brothers successfully accomplished this. And they go and send a telegraph, kind of like a text message, <laughs> to, the, to their sister, to their sister Catherine. And, and here, and this is all accurate, historical, you can read this. This is what they shared. We have actually flown 120 feet. We'll be home for Christmas. They didn't have emojis back then, so. So Catherine, being the manager and the PR person, hurries to the local paper there in Dayton, Ohio, to the editor, and shows him the message. Shows him the message. And the headline in the paper the very next day read this, and you can find it in the historical archives. The headline in the paper read this, and I quote, Wright Brothers Home for Christmas. <laughs> Did you notice anything? Anything small missing in there? Now, in fairness to this historical accuracy of what I'm sharing with you, the article certainly does describe their accomplishments of flying. But you'd think as a headline that kind of captures the main thing, they would say something like, local heroes fly. I mean, anything. The world has changed as we know it. But Wright Brothers, home for Christmas. Right? The editor completely missed the point. And it's easy to go through the motions during this Christmas season, but don't miss the point. Jesus became like one of us in order to die as one of us. Why? It's because God takes sin seriously and will deal with sin seriously. And I realize this maybe doesn't necessarily fit our expectations for a Christmas sermon but it's the only thing that explains the reason for Christmas. God didn't exchange the throne for a manger, and he certainly didn't exchange the wrappings of angelic worship, that multitude we heard in Luke 2, for the wrappings of flesh, just so you and I could sing fa-la-la-la-la. And, and, and I'm not trying to make light of this, but the whole point of Christmas is understood in the point of Christ's birth, he came to be our savior. Don't miss the point. Friends, if all we needed was improvement in our emotional stability and our mental health, God would have sent a therapist. If our greatest need had been information, he would have sent an educator. If it was financial and, and establishing kind of economic stability and prosperity, he would have sent an, an, an economist. 
If our greatest need had been pleasure, it probably would have been an entertainer, but our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a savior. And it's with this in mind that I want to share a familiar Christmas passage. It's familiar because as an Old Testament text, it's one of the more well-known messianic passages, meaning a, a passage that's pointing the people forward to the expectation of a Messiah. One who will save is what that means. As a New Testament text, it's a passage that's familiar this Christmas season because when the Magi were traveling to come and see this baby born king of the Jews, and they arrived to the location following the star, we know the Bible story, right? And when they arrived, they asked King Herod, where is this baby? Anticipating this man of prominence and influence would certainly know where the baby who was born king of the Jews would be. And Herod asked the chief priests and the teachers of the law and says, what do we know of this? And it was Micah 5, verses 2 through 5, that they pointed to as the answer to what on earth these guys were talking about. So let me read Micah 5, 2 through 5 for us this Christmas. But as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah. For one of you will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain, because that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. You see, God provided this remarkable promise to his people. A ruler will come who will be our peace. He will shepherd his people. And he provided this promise to his people during a significant time of stress and suffering. And it's important to know that all of this weariness was due to their disobedience and disregard for God and his ways. And although the pain of judgment is all around them and the effects of sin is closing in among this, this people of Judah, God still says a ruler is coming, one who will bring peace. You see, God is faithful to his promises. And he had promised from the very moment of rebellion and sin and when it had fractured our fellowship with God, from that very moment, God said he would do something about it, friends. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3 in the days of Eden when Adam and Eve rebelled and, and sin separated this relationship. God revealed his plan to do something about it. And in a prophetic word spoken over both Adam and Eve and even the snake, Satan, the devil himself, God said toward the devil, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed, this seed of rebellion, and her seed, which will be Christ. And he, Jesus, shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel, meaning you think you're going to do something that's going to affect him, but in that very action, it's going to deliver a fatal blow. This was the cross, friends. And it was the resurrection. And so Christmas is the reminder that God is faithful to his promises, which means we have a reason to rejoice in the midst of a weary world. So let's rejoice and sing together, O come, O come, Emmanuel. This song is a particularly powerful one because of the plea that resides within its melody. That word Emmanuel that we just sang means God with us. 
And you can hear it. Be with us, O God. Ransom the captive. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night. Put to flight death's dark shadows. Bring unity to our conflict and deliver us from earthly strife. Is this not a song that we can't all relate to on some level? This song resides in all of our hearts because all of us on some level know what it's like to live in the midst of a weary world. And no matter our background, for some of you, this might be your very first time ever in church. There is not one soul in this room today that doesn't long for the day to come when all will be made right. Amen. And I can assure you in our passage today, Judah longed for the day when all would be made right. Right after it says, and he will be our peace, it says there in verse 5, the Assyrians, Assyrians invade our lands and they trample on our citadels. You see, surrounding this incredible promise of a ruler who will be our peace is a world that is in complete turmoil and disarray. These days for what was the southern kingdom of Judah were filled with conflict and conquest. The Assyrian Empire had already defeated the northern kingdom of Israel, and they would have defeated Jerusalem as well. They were already invading the southern lands, but it was King Hezekiah who paid a tribute to the king of Assyria. But it's important to ask the question, why all the chaos? Why all this chaos surrounding them? Well, the the short answer is sin. But the longer answer is that in all of our hearts, we are at war with God. You see, Judah had turned their backs on him. And there's never any peace when we're in the midst of a conflict. And in our hearts, we live for ourselves. This is what it means to be at war with God. Again, Paul writes in the New Testament, Romans 8, verse 7, that the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. We are, in effect, set on ourselves. What that means is we have superseded our own will, our own interests and desires over the will of God. And in doing that, the Bible tells us in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin, the the outworking, the payment we receive for such rebellion is, is death. We have been separated from him. You see, there's a price to be paid for thinking too little of God and thinking too much of ourselves. You see, the price to be paid is that when we do that and we expand the view of ourselves, what we really come to discover isn't really something we want to see. We, we see all the more our cracks and our imperfections. We see all the more the things that we look to for security and comfort and peace and realize just how short they fall of our expectations. Even in this passage, we learn from Micah that God's judgment against his people was directly related to their selfish behavior. They thought too little of him and thought too much of themselves. For an example of this in Micah chapter 3, verse 11, it reads, Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, her prophets tell fortunes for money. In other words, there's a reason for the chaos. And this isn't an indictment against money, friends. We all have it. Doesn't matter if you have $5 or $5 million. We all have money. The indictment here isn't about the money. It's about the priority of the heart. It's about the things that were being valued. 
And Judah, in this case, had replaced God on the throne of their hearts for their own gain, for their own interests and their own desires. They had exchanged the glory of God for the image and the form of lesser things. And so the story of Judah is really the story of our heart. That all of us have fallen short of the glory of God through the behavior and the attitude and the pattern of our life that can be classified as sin. We've missed the mark. We've put ourselves as first place. And this is really why this promise in Micah chapter 5 is such a gift. That even in the midst of all of our conflict and sin, God is going to deliver one who will rule the nations and establish peace. God has proven his love for you. That in the midst of all this conflict, God does not abandon you. He doesn't forget you. He doesn't run out on you or leave you to yourselves. He has offered a promise that he fulfills in Jesus. But what's this going to look like? Because for Judah, there was no peace. Right? Assyria was at their doorstep. And in fact, for hundreds of years, they didn't experience this peace. Even in the days of Jesus, the Jewish people were under the thumb of the Roman Empire. So how does this promise become fulfilled when chaos feels constant? Does chaos feel constant in your life sometimes? How will this one from Bethlehem bring peace? And in what way will he rule? Because the image of Micah 5 had everyone looking for another King David. This is an important to understand. David was the most celebrated and well-known and respected king of Israel. David also was from Bethlehem. Micah 5, verse 2, David was also from there. David also was too little and least among the clans, in that he was the youngest of all of his brothers, sons of Jesse. And so in the most unsuspecting way, the youngest of all the sons coming from a small agricultural farming town like Bethlehem outside the walls of Jerusalem rose this king of prominence that was the most influential in all of Israel. And so this prophecy suggests that God is going to provide a ruler who's going to bring peace, but also, also in the most unsuspecting ways. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 and 23. For indeed, Jews ask for a sign and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. In other words, we are often looking for salvation around us and we fail to realize the heart of our problems. That we are at war with God. So the solution isn't out there. And what something else or someone else is going to do for you. Because they themselves are stuck in the muck and mire of sin and conflict. The problem is within here. And so this is where God is going to rule. This is where God is going to establish peace. And this is the answer. How is the one from Bethlehem going to bring peace? Jesus came to rule over our hearts. And to settle peace between us and God by sharing his righteousness with us. And, and so I don't want us to miss the point of Christmas. Jesus put himself in that manger so we could approach him. 
He became as one of us so we could finally recognize the full extent of God's loving intentions towards us. And the message that we have to rejoice over is not that Jesus was born, but that he died and rose again. Jesus became like one of us in order to die as one of us. God became man, died the death we deserved, and rose as the first fruits from the grave. And while we think we all know what we want, God, in his mercy and grace, gave us exactly what we all need. God gave us salvation from sin. And in Christ, we have reconciliation with God. He will bring peace. That, that is a Merry Christmas. I love this quote from Augustine, a well-known bishop and theologian of the fourth century, and he said this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. God has settled for himself the conflict of sin with our heart. And in his grace, giving to us what we do not deserve, he gives us eternal life through the fellowship that comes through the life and death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. And the most amazing part about this, friends, is that this gift is free. It's free. There's nothing you have to do to earn it or to receive it. But with a grateful and humble heart, receive it. Acknowledge the need that exists in our lives and look to him, the author and the perfecter of life. See, the Bible makes it plainly known in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, meaning if we have a humbled and contrite heart and we acknowledge the fact that all the things of the world could be given to me and I would never have a true peace that resides in the heart. And so if we recognize and acknowledge that in our own ways we have rebelled against God, we have made much of ourselves and less of him, we have prioritized our interests and our desires, well, then he is faithful and just to forgive What a gift that is. It will cleanse us of our sin and remove all unrighteousness from us. And it's only possible because of Jesus. And the love of God has been proven to you today that in the midst of a weary world, God breaks through with this promise to forgive and accept you as his very own. You see, this is the great story of Christmas. That Jesus became like one of us so we could know who God is. And by knowing God we could fully see and realize the love that is lavished upon us in Christ. And so as we consider these amazing themes of hope, that God's going to do something to break through that darkness, the chaos that surrounds my life. And as we think about the hope to come and realize the peace that exists with Christ, it moves our hearts to joy. Because for myself, I recognize that God did something for me I could never do for myself. And that makes my heart glad. And it makes me happy. Because I know I have a gift that lasts forever, friends. And no matter what happens in the here and now, there is an inheritance that is waiting for me in the heavens. It's undefiled. It will not perish. It will not fade away. And it's kept for me by the love of God in Christ. This is what he's done for you. And this love that we consider today is all made known in the person of Christ. 
This is what we light. We call it the Christ candle. Because like the promise and prophecy of Micah surrounding the city was chaos. Like the darkness that invades our lives and the weariness that pulls at our hearts and drags us down. And it's in that place that God breaks through. And he comes to us as one of us. And he says, you are not alone. I will not leave you to yourselves. And more importantly, I will not let the judgment of death by way of sin come and take you away from me, for you are mine. Know that this Christmas, friends, you are his. And you were made in the image of God. And he has given us Christ to redeem us back to himself so we can become sons and daughters of the king. And all this is for you who believe. That's it. For those of you who believe who believe you're a sinner and who believe in the love of God revealed in Christ. And if you believe that Jesus is God and that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. So let me invite you to accept that gift today, friends. Say a simple prayer in your heart to acknowledge that you need Jesus and that he is God and he will become the Lord of your life. At this time, we're going to conclude our service in a powerful demonstration of a light breaking through of a baby born to us who will be our peace. And though it feels like the darkness is always around us, all it takes is the simple light of Christ. Because that's what light does. It breaks the darkness and it reveals something profound to us. And like light, it illuminates the environment and it gives us an ability to see. And so may we look to Christ and see the love of God. This simple and glorious light is gonna someday break through all of death's dark shadows because in Christ, death has been defeated, friends. That last enemy is no more in Jesus. And a day is coming and will come when the full glory of God will shine upon our hearts and his presence will illuminate every space. So we thank God for this Christmas gift of Jesus and we continue to look forward with great anticipation for the day when we will be with him again. He is our righteousness. He is our peace. Glory to God. And I wish you all a very Merry Christmas. You are dismissed.